very warm welcome to the latest in our poolside series, or now that it's nearly winter, I should say, fireside chat series, coming to you from the class action group of Herbert Smith Freels. Um, today we're going to deal with something that in a way comes before everything else, and in some ways the most important thing of all. We're going to talk about matters that are in a way a checklist of things that you, the company that's facing a class action risk, an imminent risk, need to have regard to going forward. What are they? And my fellow panellists, my colleagues here, will talk to you about that. Let me, without more ado, introduce them. Harry Edwards, who's a partner in our group, and Cara Butler, who's a senior associate in our group. We, we, we are used to talking about and dealing with the sort of things we'll be talking about over the next 10 minutes or so. Okay, so how do you know there's a claim? A claim for a class action can come about in various ways. Probably the most common is you read about it in the paper. That is, you read an article put there or partly put there by a law firm that works for applicants or plaintiffs intimating that they're about to bring a claim against your corporation, your company, for something that's happened. It can come in a different way. It can come through a letter of demand, although that's probably less usual. Or finally, it may be that as a result of some difficulty with a regulator, you know perfectly well when the market finds out about it, there's going to be a follow-up from one of these firms that looks after plaintiff's actions um, where they threaten a class action. Let's suppose you're in that space. There's not litigation, but you know there is more likely to be litigation in the not-too-distant future. What are the things that you've got to do over the first 48 hours? That's what this this is about today. I'm going to switch straight to my colleague, Harry. Harry, one of the things I've noticed when a company's in a bed-to-farm situation is that people tend to hit the email. They hit it pretty hard and they say things about their views as to what's going to happen and what might happen, even what the liability of the company might be. That raises all sorts of issues. Can you talk about that? Sure, Peter. So obviously one of the things that happens when there's an event of the type that you describe is that people, particularly those at the top of the organisation, want to know what's going on, what's happening, what their exposure is, what to do next. And as you rightly say, particularly these days, there are a number of um, mediums in which they can express themselves or ask for information and people can respond to those. Now, the thing to bear in mind is that you should essentially assume that all of that will be ultimately disclosable to the other side. There's obviously an important exception to that, which I'll touch on in a minute, um, relating to privilege. And there are a couple of golden rules to think about from in, in a general sense from that perspective. But the basic rule of thumb is to really have good discipline about the creation of new documents when you're in a situation like this and those um, ill thought through or rushed out um, expressions of opinion can be seriously problematic mm -hmm. down the track when it comes to trial and you have to try and contextualize. Have you seen that happen? Yeah, so I had a particular situation where something very bad happened in an organization and the first perhaps very human reaction was for different parts of the organization to immediately commission uh, a piece of work which makes it very clear that that part of the business wasn't to blame. And the natural finger pointing that that brings about 
created an exceptionally mm. difficult document to deal mm. with going forwards. Mm. Let me just touch very quickly on privilege because uh, hopefully most people on this uh, or reviewing this will, will have a very good idea about privilege. Obviously, the key aspect of that is that it's advice um, given by the company's lawyers. But of course, the fact that lawyers are involved in the communication does not necessarily mean that privilege will bite. And of course, the importance of that is that it won't need to be um, disclosed. It has to be for the dominant purpose of um, receiving legal advice. And therefore, the safest rule of thumb is to not commit things to writing um, where not necessary. Mm. And not even to disseminate things, even when they might be privileged too far. Correct, exactly. Caro, um, one of the things I know you've been involved in many times uh, relates to what and when you tell the market, the, the stock exchange, that there's been an issue or that the company wants to tell the market in the context of continuous disclosure that there's something the market needs to know. How does that work? Thanks, Peter. Um, disclosures to the market is a very important consideration uh, and consideration should be given to whether a disclosure should be made to the market prior to the litigation being commenced when the class action is in um, uh, is simply a, a threat. Uh, and once the class action is commenced, uh, what disclosures should be made from time to time as the litigation progresses. Uh, consideration should be given to... Um, whether the information is market sensitive, uh, whether it would have a material effect uh, on the price or value of the securities and a reasonable person would expect it to be disclosed. Of course, there's a couple of exceptions to that rule. Uh, one important exception is the confidentiality uh, rule uh, in 3.1a. Um, we won't have time to cover that today, but uh, your legal advisors will be able to advise you on each of those exceptions. Um, yeah. Point being, can never forget, even in the context that there's an awful lot happening, as there will be for legal and the company sector and for the management team, um, uh, the need to maintain continuous disclosure has mm. got to be front of mind, doesn't it? Exactly. Mm. Uh, and other considerations should be had as well, um, including whether to uh, have a trading halt um, or place the company into voluntary suspension. Mm. Um, and, and those are just some of the things that uh, we think about when we're advising clients in this sort of situation. Yeah. Um, another aspect um, that should be considered as well is regulatory uh, engagement. Harry, I know that you've had some involvement in that. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. So obviously uh, industry specific um, because different regulators will have um, different uh, expectations of companies to uh, get in front of uh, matters and volunteer information to the regulators when an event of this sort happens. I think the, the important thing is to really manage um, that regulatory relationship proactively, um, take advice and really consider whether or not um, it's in your interest to avoid um, having to open up on another front in due course for failure to engage with your regulator. Um, and there, there are uh, uh, unknown um, uh, uh, examples of that playing out and causing just additional issues down the line. So getting in front of it and, and being proactive with your regulator is uh, usually the best course. Along the same lines, what, what's your advice in the insurance space? Because that's always front and centre for a board. Um, are we covered? And are we covered? What, what do you say? Yeah, so I mean, insurance is obviously a very important um, uh, aspect to 
uh, have in mind. What you don't want to do is lose coverage by failing to take the necessary steps. And I think engaging with your advisors, engaging with your broker at an early stage, just to make sure that you don't trip up any of the notice um, requirements is, is just, you know, you want to avoid that own goal. I'm going to turn now to one of the really critical things, but this takes you outside the first 48 hours, but it's something that needs to be thought about early and quickly. Um, These are strategic considerations. And the first one is you need to appoint advisors, particularly a law firm. Um, uh, One of the things you need to have regard to, and I'll point to just one, which is Class actions are a different species from normal litigation. Class actions are bet the farm almost always, but more than that, they require a special skill set, especially like so many others. Um, someone who is used to handling class actions, who is used to handling regulatory issues and so on, um, might be able to help. But um, obviously here at Herbs and Thrills, we think we've got that skill set. and We've got a substantial respondents or defendants class action practice. So choose the law firm, have a discussion with them, make sure the rapport's there. And all the things we've been talking about so far are matters that you would want to raise with that law firm, hopefully with us. Um, Similarly, another strategic matter you want to turn your mind to earlier is what in the end does the law firm representing the plaintiffs or applicants want from us? Um, Do they want a quick settlement? Um, What does the funder want? Is it worthwhile having an early discussion with them on that? Or are we better off saying we're going to hardball this, we don't think we're liable, and we're going to take this all away? Obviously, every situation is going to require a different approach, but these are things which we would urge you to think about and think about often, certainly in those first 48 hours. Finally, um, I want to talk about uh, media. Um, Media strategy uh, is such an important thing in today's world. What you can and can't say in the context of a case that's before the courts is sometimes a difficult question. Um, Again, question for Harry, how would you approach the media issue if you were foreshadowing or believing there's likely to be a class action we're facing quite soon, but it hasn't happened yet? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think you need to take a sort of case-by-case basis and approach to it. There will definitely be cases where there's a real temptation to get in front of um, the story and to have an active um, role with the media. For example, um, where a funder is looking to book build, it may well be advantageous from the company's perspective to get the message out there that this isn't a cut and dried case, that there is a credible or even a very strong defence. Um, and that may well impact the ability of the funder to get a, a book building process off the ground. I have to say, I'm tempted, I tend to um, have more of a reactive strategy in place so that essentially, you know, the documents, you know, the the facts which are going to cause um, the media to get excited. Um, And what I've tended to uh, advise clients to do is essentially to have very ready um, those contextual documents, which essentially downplay or explain some of those, you know, media uh, interesting type facts mm-hmm. um, and arm the specialists that clients can appoint to have media relations and to get that um, context out into the, the media world so mm-hmm. that those things can be managed, those stories can be contextualised and less damage can be done when they come out. There are, of course, some 
terrific firms that look after media relations. Would you, would you be tempted to have one of those appointed? Yeah, certainly on you know high value, high reputational and strategic matters. I think they, they're worth their weight in gold. Well, we've covered a lot of material in a few minutes. There's a lot more, a lot more that could be said. Um, is it a complete checklist? No, but I think we've made a start. Um, just running through them in summary, the first thing is keep an eye out for that potential class action claim. Um, it may just be a regulatory issue that will develop, maybe something you read in the media, some adverse publicity, or something else that you hear. Um, the 48 hours starts ticking when you hear. There's a whole lot of stuff that you need to do quickly at that stage. As Harry said, um, look out for document management. Get privilege wherever you can. Appoint a firm of lawyers that you have confidence can look after you in this very specialised need. Think about the ASX requirements, particularly the exception rule and your continuous disclosure obligations where they apply. And finally, media is always important in these things. Is there something you can do, perhaps reactive, which it more likely will be, as Harry said, or something that's proactive that can be wheeled out and used to effect? There are many other things, but if you get the advisor choice right, that checklist that we've touched on in these few minutes can be expanded and built into something that really looks after the company. You'll be in good hands. Thanks very much for listening to this. We hope you enjoyed it. You have been listening to a podcast brought to you by Herbert Smith Freehills. For more episodes, please go to our channel on iTunes or SoundCloud and visit our website herbertsmithfreehills.com for more insights relevant to your business.